not only you have self-shame, uh, you have shame from others around you if, if they know. And I mean, think about it. How often is it spoken of in church? Never. And why would you, and, and what does that, what does that say to a post-abortive woman? It's so bad that church can't even talk about it. <laughs> How do you forgive when the wound is still open? How do you leave a legacy of redemption instead of dysfunction? How do you trust God when your deepest fears are realized? Join me, Sarah May, along with some wise mentors along the way as we explore these and other messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Tam Hodge, a friend of mine and the author of the book, And Now I Choose, and she's joined by her daughter, Cass. Tam is here to tell us her abortion story and how she told her daughter, Cass, about it. Tam and Cass, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. We're going to jump right in. So why don't you go ahead and tell us your story? Yeah, so it is a complicated story. I had a complicated childhood. My mom was a single mom. She played both roles um, not well, but I think as best as she thought she could. And in it just grew a lot of dysfunction. Uh, A lot of abuse was allowed, not by my mom, but by boyfriends. And a lot of sexual abuse, physical abuse, uh, emotional, mental abuse. uh, My brother and I endured uh, through our growing up years. So you can imagine when you live in in that kind of um, atmosphere, it does shape your worth. It does shape your heart and and your thoughts. And and it does kind of uh, shape your trajectory, especially when you don't have a lot of other outside guidance or healthy voices speaking into it. So that's what we were, that's what we were subjected to. And so that's what I knew. And that was my normal. So... Fast forward um, till uh, high school, like sophomore, junior year in high school, a, uh, my mom had a midlife crisis and uh, kicked me out one night in the middle of the night. And it, it was so funny because I write about this in the book. Like I was a, like an awesome child. I was on the honor roll. I was in college prep classes. Uh, I watched my baby sisters all the time. I was clean. I was cute. And I was funny. I mean, I was basically the perfect daughter. But um, but a midlife crisis happened. And I, I get it. I can look back now. And I understand. I don't excuse it. I just understand it, you know. So she kicked me out. My high school principal and guidance counselor got wind of it. And they got me out of class one day and brought me in and they said, tell me your story. What's going on? Where are you living? I said, well, I'm living with my boyfriend and his, his mom right now. Okay. Well, why? Well this. And then, so I shared about the abuses, showed him some of my scars on my body and they were just appalled and they called child protective services and got my mom on the phone and my mom wouldn't have it, you know, denied everything, which is fine. 
And on the phone, in the, on the speakerphone, she's like, Tam, today after school, come get your stuff. Come get the rest of your stuff. I was like, okay. And so I did. And my, my girlfriend drove me to the house. And um, she had all of my stuff in a box. Well, a lot of my stuff in a box that was just falling apart. And she shoved it into my hands. And she goes, I can't believe you told those people what happened in your life and that you were molested and stuff. And then she's like, you know what? You probably enjoyed it. When I read that in the book, oh my word, I just, I, uh, I don't think any more crushing words have ever been spoken to me. Yeah. So that's what I was left with. That was the last things that, you know, my mom said to me until years later when we started our reconciling journey. So I'm living with my boyfriend you know, that how cool is that? I'm 16. He's almost 18. We're playing house. What teenagers don't want to do that? You know, his mom was real, like cool and chill and most absent most of the time. So, you know, we shared our, we shared his room, you know, we did things that, you know, adults would do. And, uh, you know, I got pregnant and I didn't think I was pregnant. I thought I had the flu and after weeks and weeks and weeks of the flu not going away, a friend suggested that I go to uh, our local Planned Parenthood. And I lived in Southern California at that time. I was up in Ventura County. And I went and I took a blood test. I think it was a blood test. And I, I went home and they called me a few hours later And they said, you're pregnant. When do you want to schedule your abortion? And I remember kind of being blindsided because I didn't even, they didn't even give me an option. You know, there's like, that's it. You're pregnant. When are you going to have your abortion? And I was like, um, um, next week, two weeks. I don't know. You know, um, I don't know. And so I was like, well, let me call you back. And I talked to my friend and they're like, well, she said, you have to have an abortion. It's like, okay. So I called them back and I made the appointment. And I remember when I went in, again, they didn't give me options. They never suggested I could even keep the baby. In fact, they told me, you will never be a good mom. You will never be able to give this child. Oh, yeah. They said that? Yes, I was 16. And they told me that because I was 16, they said, you're too young. You'll never be able to give this child a good life. You know, it'll probably end up, you know, having a really hard childhood and getting the same problems you have gotten into. I mean, they just went on and I'll never forget it. It's clear as day and night. But, you know, they never mentioned adoption, keeping it, anything like that. Never, ever once. Um, it was just like, you know, this is the right thing for you to do. I wasn't forced. I mean, it was, it's still on me. That was still, that was still my, I still made the choice. You know, I walked in to that clinic that day as an abortion, vulnerable teenage girl. And they saw it. And Um, I was an easy target. So the uh, appointment day came and I went in for the procedure and it was a, um, I went under an anesthesia and um, it was a vacuum procedure. So, you know, they force dilate and do all those, all those things. And I remember the anesthesiologist came in and he 
grabbed my IV and he got the sleepy juice and he started injecting it. And he told me, he was so sweet, but he told me in a very soft voice, start counting backwards from 10. And before you know it, it will all be over. And what they don't tell you is when you wake up, that's when it all begins. That's when your life changes for for a while for the worse. It really does. So I woke up and I was, I was terrified. I was filled with fear and um, disbelief that I had actually done that. And I became pretty um, irate and physical and loud. And I was screaming, um, which is not like me when I come in out of anesthesia, uh, out of that sleepy stuff. I can't say the word, but, um, uh, when I woke up, I, I was not myself. It had changed me on a bone marrow level. I mean, it, it was like, it changed my person and I knew it. And I knew I had done the, the wrong thing for me. I knew I didn't need to do that. And I was mortified that there were other women in the recovery room also waking up from their procedures. There was about five or six of us at the time in the room, all waking up at the, at that same moment. And I was the one who lost it. And I was so angry that they saw me, that there were witnesses. And, um, I became kind of violent and they put me in my own private room, very tiny, tiny room, maybe like five by five room, maybe six by six. And they had one of the nurses sitting in the corner waiting for me to calm down. And I, I sat kind of like in fetal position crying for hours until I had no more tears left. And they finally let me out and, um, I got dressed and the doctor came in and he said, here are some birth control pills. Don't let that happen again basically. And then he actually described how I should have sex the next time. It was so uncomfortable. It was so it was mortifying, mortifying. Um, so he's like, you know, go, you know, you'll bleed for a while when you get home, you know, that'll be totally normal. And so once I left the building, I put on my brave face. I told myself, all right, this is it. No one knows. We didn't tell anybody except my boyfriend and our friend who lent us the money to have the abortion. And they were picking me up and I had to put on my brave face. I wanted to be the cool person that just did like this amazing thing. And so they picked me up and we went out and we celebrated. We went to a restaurant and I hid the pain, physical, mental, emotional. And I did that for an entire year. And, um, I got pregnant again. So I'm 17. And during this time, my grandma, who I loved to pieces was, um, getting ready to, um, pass away. And I just found out I was pregnant and I went to visit her at the hospital and she couldn't speak to me very well, but you know, she just had those you're my favorite granddaughter eyes. (laughs) It broke my heart because I knew I was already scheduled for my second abortion. And I knew that she was dying 
and she couldn't stop it. She, there was nothing she can do. There was nothing the doctors could do for her and she was dying and she didn't want to. And I remember holding my stomach thinking, and I am ending the life of this child and it doesn't have a choice either. I just remember it being such a huge moment, but not big enough for me to cancel my appointment, sadly. So I went in and I had my second abortion and I, I, it was a botched procedure. It was really tough. And I came home and I, uh, they told me that again, you may pass blood, you know, because you were so far along. I was 13 weeks. The second one, I was 11 weeks. The first one, um, they said, you might see, um, fetus parts, um, and I was like, okay. And I did. I saw, fe- I passed little fingers and also something, you know, you can't unsee, you know, and they don't, they don't, they didn't prep me for that. And I, and I think it's safe to say they don't prepare you for that. They don't prepare you for, you know, the moment you have to tell somebody what you did, or when you get married, are you going to tell your husband? Or when you see a pregnant woman, and you see them so happy. And then you think, that'll never be me. I don't deserve that. They don't prepare you for any of that. They just say you did the right thing for your body, for yourself. You know, it's so self-filled. They didn't prepare me for how I would feel when I saw parts of my baby. They just said, you'll see it. You know, whether you want a baby or not, and I say this to women all the time, when you get pregnant, there is something extra special that takes place in your body. The minute your hormones change, a part of you expands. And there isn't a disconnect when you see that baby, when you see those parts. You, that maternal, that, I mean, that's God-given. That maternal instinct still exists. And I saw it for what it was, my child. And I couldn't believe that I had just done that. And honest, I don't talk about this part of my story a lot. The hardest part was flushing the toilet. And it just seemed so barbaric, so cruel. Um, So here I am all these years later, and it still hurts. You know, it doesn't go away. It never goes away. I'm healed, but it'll always, that will always be there. And they don't, they don't help you with that. And I wish more women understood that of how it will affect you every day. A few years ago, we were at some friend's house and she was a mom and uh, she's 27. She was 27 at the time. And her little girl was two. And it hit me right there across the dinner table at their house. Oh, my gosh. My child would be 27. That could literally have been my daughter and my granddaughter sitting across from me. You never stop doing the math. Never. And you know that, right? Yeah. I am um, in an upcoming podcast, I interview my post abortion counselor. And one of the things that she says to women is just slow down. You don't have to make the decision right away. She says that so often women are feel like they have to like make that appointment immediately. And she always just wants to say, 
just slow down. Let's just take some time and think it through and let's ask some questions and whatever you decide, I still love you, but let's just slow down. Well, and you know, it's, it's, it's fear-based. Fear mm-hmm. led me to react so quickly. And I just want to tell you, even in the best of circumstances, even in wanted pregnancies, you're still afraid. <laughs> You know, it's so they play on it like that's not normal. Oh, you shouldn't be this afraid to have a baby. Are you kidding? My two born children, I was just as frightened when I got pregnant. So that's not a normal response. I mean, it's not an abnormal response to be afraid when you get pregnant. You know, even in the, oh my gosh, this is awesome. There's still that fear of, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't think we should feel like being afraid is an indicator that you should, shouldn't have a baby. Yeah. Tam, can you tell me if you were, had you become a believer yet? I don't think so, but can you talk to us a little bit about that? I was not a believer, um, through all of that. I had, um, I think I had a a tender heart toward the Lord. Uh, I knew of him. I went to church with my grandparents every second Sunday of the month because they served cookies on every second Sunday of the month. So um, I did have some input, you know, from the spiritual um, community, uh, but never made my own decision and certainly was not living for the Lord. As you and I both know, there's so much shame when it comes to abortion, whether you're a believer or not. But I imagine if you're a believer, sometimes it's even more brutal Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, we get. I think there's a lot of layers to that because I think not only you have self shame, uh, you have shame from others around you if if they know. And I mean, think about it. How often is it spoken of in church? Never. And why would you? And and what does that what does that say to a post abortive woman? It's so bad the church can't even talk about it. <laughs> You know, so that's, that's horrible. So the shame is not only self-imposed, I think it's community imposed and uh, we have to change that. But even after I became a believer at 19, then new shame set in. So I already had my own regret and I was already shaming myself, but then now I, I, I have, I, I began, um, crafting this distorted view of how God saw me based on how I came to him. And I came to him in a very, very um, (laughs) radical way. Uh, I had a lot of pain uh, 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 and regrets when I fell on my face before him. And so I knew he saw all of it, but I, I never confessed any of it to him, even though I knew, you know, people told me, you know, the Lord sees all. He's forgiven all. You're okay. You know, you're clear. And I thought, well, I've not forgiven myself. And if I can't forgive myself, God can't. And I will forever be punished for what I've done. That's how I saw the Lord. And no one can help me with that because I had not told anyone about my abortions. So I spent so many years living in that narrative and believing that God, you know, would never forgive me for it and would never allow me to have a child. So 
a few years into mine and Brent's marriage, we got married in 91. Uh, we got pregnant in 93 with Cass. And I didn't really think about the abortions much until I was 11 weeks pregnant. And then it hit me. I woke up one morning and I realized this is when I had my first abortion. And it all came back. And I began reliving I'm not kidding. Every single day I relived it. I just tormented myself. And then I went into preterm labor at 26 weeks. And I interpreted that as a warning from the Lord, um, as a punishment from the Lord. Um, Basically believed that he let me get this far and he was going to take her away from me as a punishment. I believed that. Oh, Tam, I know so many women listening who have had abortions have probably thought the same things as you. And I know you don't believe those things anymore. Could you tell us a little bit about your healing journey? It took a long time for me to find healing because I was so disappointed with myself. My healing began when I couldn't run from the Lord anymore. And My daughter was uh, five months old, and I was home alone with her in our tiny little apartment, and um, she was healthy, doing well. She ended up being a month early, and they said, you know, she'll be behind all the time. Um, You know, she won't have good cognitive skills. She'll be, you know, behind physically and all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's five months old, weighs what a 12-month-old would. She's rolling around everywhere because she's as wide as she was long. And so I I just remember um, waking up that morning and just kind of marveling at her like, wow, you know, they were wrong. Look at you. And but still also simultaneously living with so much shame and still not having dealt with my self-forgiveness and not having dealt with how God views me. Um, Not what I did, but how God views me as his daughter. And, um, so I was walking down the hall one day, um, going to look for Cassidy rolling around somewhere. And I fell face down flat on the ground. It's like something came and just clocked me and just swept my feet up and made me fall. And I knew, I knew, I knew on the way down, this was the moment. This, this was an uninvited divine appointment that God said, it's time. This is now we're going to have a really tough talk girl. And I felt him and I heard him less than a handful of times. I, I believe I've heard his voice in my head. I heard him saying, it is time for you to confess. It is time for you to tell your husband. It is time for you to speak the words And I fought back and I yelled. I just, oh, I was so angry at God for like interrupting, for interfering. And I had it under control. I was fine. You know, I was stuffing it. It was fine. I was managing my new role. Um, But he obviously saw the truth. And I remember yelling at him, no, I am not telling Brent. I am not. You can't make me. I mean, I, I was like a five-year-old, you can't make me do this, you know, and I'm just crying 
hysterically crying. I mean, tears and snot running down my face. I'm, I'm a mess and I'm yelling. Can't we just keep the peace? Yeah. And you had married a Christian man. Yes. Did, was that part of you not wanting to tell him or was it just the shame was too great? You didn't want to tell him anyway. There were so many layers, so many reasons why I couldn't tell him. Um, I was so, uh, part of it, yes, I'll get to that, but but definitely part of it was, um, he's a pastor's kid. So if he knows now my pastor father-in-law has to know, and my mother-in-law has to know, and everyone has to know, and what will they think of me? So after I yelled at the Lord and I told him, you know, no, we're keeping the peace. I'm, why can't we keep the peace? And I heard him say, this is peace. Look at you. This is what peace looks like. Are you, are you kidding? This, I didn't come to create this distorted view of peace. That's not who I am. And I, I felt, heard him say, now you get up and you do what you know you need to do. And I did. And that night, I, um, I told my husband after about a three-hour delay, I'm really good at putting things off in a very dramatic type of fashion. And that night was no exception. And um, I just cried for three hours. And bless his heart, he endured every single second of it like a trooper. I mean, the patience of Job was displayed in front of me that night. He was amazing. After hours of crying and delaying and ridiculousness, um, I finally just said it. And uh, we were both on our knees on our bed facing each other. And through tears, I just told him, I said, babe, when I was 16, of course, I'm crying, can barely speak. I had an abortion. And he did not say one word. He just stared at me. And that's when all the thoughts, the fears came back to me because I thought, all right, this is going to happen. He's going to run out of the room, pack his bags, pack Cassidy's bags, and I'm going to lose everything. Because I thought, why would he stay with a woman that would do something like that? I thought, well, he's not going to say anything. It's not going to get worse than this. And, um, I took a deep breath and I said, and a year later, I had another abortion and he let out a long exhale and he just shook his head and he stared into my eyes and he said, Tam, after all of this, after all these hours, I thought you were going to say you murdered somebody. And I said, but I did. And he, what he thought he was making light of, he understood in that moment how hard that was for me and the depth of the hurt and the shame and the guilt and the years that I had lived with it. And it, he'll tell you today that that very moment of my confessions, he started knowing me. I gave him the gift of knowing me on that moment, because he'll tell you, now I understand why you respond to certain things the way you do. Now I understand why it was so hard when you delivered Cassidy and you didn't want to look at her. I refused to hold her. 
because I thought God was going to take her. Um, he understood so much more. And from that moment on, our everything about our marriage changed. I gave him the gift of knowing me and it drew us closer. And I realized at that moment that I was safe, that my story, as hard as it was to share, didn't define me. And he, he let me know that in that instant. And he became my safe place. And, and that first confession was almost like the best drug I could ever have because I felt a million pounds lighter. And I remember kind of feeling like God being sassy in the corner, like, I told you, I told you so. <laughs> I knew you could do it, remember? You know, so that was when everything changed. And that's when I realized, even though it was a hard, hard thing for me to do. And even though I I wouldn't go back and have abortions again, I realized that, that moment that God had something to do in this story, that he wanted to do something with this story. I didn't know what it looked like way back then. That was in 94. Um, I had no idea, but all I knew is confessions felt so good that the very next morning I called up my girlfriends. I had four really close girlfriends at the time and I scheduled appointments with all of them to tell, to tell them I had to tell them it felt that good. And I told them and I got to my last girlfriend. So there were five of us girls who were super close. And when I told her, she goes, no, I knew. And I was like, what? She goes, no, I've known ever since we become friends. And I was like, how? And she goes, because that's my story too. And if I didn't think I had a purpose before that, I was very convinced I had a purpose at that moment. Because I was like, women, we are dying for someone to go first. We are aching for someone to share their story, to share the hard parts to peel back the layers and let the ugly be revealed. Let the regret be revealed. Let it be seen. Because when you do that, it gives someone else that, that feeling and, and that the, the proof they need that they're not alone. And if she can do it, I can do it. And that's what happened in that moment. She's like, no, I knew. And I was the first person she ever told. And there, that was such a powerful moment. And I could never, ever not unfeel that. I couldn't untaste what, what, what that tasted like. You know, I knew there was purpose in all of this and everything, everything about how I looked at it and felt about it changed in that instant. Well, it's light. I mean, it's what happens when we walk out of the darkness into the light. The lie is that, um, it will be awful and terrible and we can't handle it. And the truth is, it's warm and freeing and wide open. Well, and you know, and I, I say this to women a lot. The more you speak it, the less power it has over you. And so, you know, the more you say it, the more you slay it. It's like your sword gets sharper and sharper and sharper. And, you know, you just annihilate it. You know, you don't erase it because it'll always be there. But it doesn't own you anymore. So you said something earlier that I want to go back to. You said that when you got pregnant with Cass, 
that it all came back, like all of the memories from your past, from the abortions. And what I wanted to ask you was, what did that look like? Like when you say it all came back, what does that mean? Um, I became that 16-year-old again. And I felt lost. I, I felt ugly and I felt alone. And I think more than anything, I was terrified. And again, terrified that when I, when it had hit me that, oh my gosh, 11 weeks, this is when I had my first abortion. And then the 13 week came along with Cassidy's pregnancy and I relived it all over again. Um, and it was the reliving it that hurt so bad. And I couldn't not, I couldn't stop reliving it. It, I was, it was self-torture. I was sabotaging the joy of um, this pregnancy. And I, I will, I don't like to give the enemy a lot of credit. And that's not even the right word I'm looking for. But, um, but he does exist. You know, and, 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 and I believe that he was just having a, a field day and a party with my guilt and my shame and my fear. And I, I do believe that he caused um, that much more pain and, and, and fear in my surroundings and in, in my mind while um, I was reliving those abortions over and over and over again. And I really wish I could go back and relive that pregnancy mm-hmm. And enjoy it, but um, I, I definitely was robbed. And I, I talked to several women who who have a very similar story. This is not uncommon. Yeah, that's why I wanted to go back to that because I'm sure a lot of women have have gone through that same or a very similar experience as you just shared. I'm just curious. Did you ever have any post-abortion counseling or any kind of therapy? once you started to face this or did God just use other means to walk you through it? I did not go to counseling. My father-in-law is a counselor. He's been a pastor for almost 50 years, but um, one of his degrees is in counseling psychology and all those things. And um, he walked me through a lot of it, a lot of it. And I just surrounded myself with um, a strong community and I, I, bathed, bathed in the word. I bathed in scriptures on forgiveness and hope and a future and God's unconditional love. And, you know, your sins are as far as the East is from the West. I mean, all those things, I just was on repeat in my, in, in my head and on my heart every day. And, um, that, that was good. That, that worked for me. Some, some women may need counseling. Some women may get through it without it. I don't know, but you definitely have to do what works for you. What's really cool about this whole thing um, is that your mom, your fear throughout the whole process before you finally confessed was, what are my in-laws going to think of me? Mm-hmm. And the exact opposite of your fear is what happened. Instead of them despising you or, or shunning you, they helped you and coached yeah. you. Yeah, which was, which was remarkable. Not what I expected. Hmm. I love that. 
And now, you know, you confessed it, you faced it, you walked through healing and not that there's any tidy, nice bow here, but she, she, you know, faced the pain and was willing to walk it out. And now would you say, you know, I was thinking of how to phrase this, the ministry of abortion. And I'm like, no, that's not it. But (laughs) I often say that I have a ministry of spilling my guts. God keeps calling me to just like say things, secrets or whatever. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I tell women, you don't have to do this, but for whatever reason I do. But the Lord has called you to share about your abortion. Have you, when did that start? How did that happen? Um, It didn't start except for that initial uh, me telling my friends, my girlfriends in 94, I really didn't talk about it a lot after that. Um, I would say back in 2000, 2001 or something, um, I was commissioned by the Lord to write my story. And I know it was from the Lord because I don't like writing. And um, I don't even like reading. I don't even know why I can even talk, honestly. (laughs) um, (laughs) It was unmistakable that it was, it was God saying, this is your, this is your job. This is, this is what I have for you. You're going to write your story and um, it's going to get out in some way. And I'm like, Oh, uh, whatever. You know, that's, that's silly. Everyone has a story. You know, I, I, I have one of a million of the same stories. He's like, no, 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 no. You have your story and your story might help one person. And the one is just important as the 99, you know, so just do what I say, just do it. Fine. So I did it. And like I said earlier, I have a flair for the dramatics and for delaying things. So it took me 10 years to write that first book, but. Well, it's a great book. I mean, hard, but so good. It's a hard read. Um, It ends well. Um, and you could really just see God's love, his, his ribbon of love, just, you know, beautifully wrapped all around it. And that's the good part of the story. And I'm very grateful to have it, but I didn't realize probably till about a year before that book was published back in 14 or 15, 2015, maybe that I would actually have a ministry with it. And And it came out when um, I had some friends editing the book and they said, you know, you really, you, you need to speak um, at conferences or women's groups or something, but you have something here that women need to know because women are dying inside with their secrets gripped in their fist. And um, that needs to end. And if you can play a small part in women releasing their grip, then you need to do it. And so that's how that ministry started. And it's not what I ever, ever envisioned, but now I cannot imagine not doing it. I I would be lost without it. This is what I was meant for. And to do a ministry like this, you know, your people kind of have to know all the things about us, (laughs) including our children. And that leads me and everybody, Cass is here too. You heard her speak a couple of minutes ago, but you decided to tell your children about your abortions. And I would like to know what your thoughts were like leading up to that and how you actually told your daughter. And I know you have a son too, but he's not here. So how did you approach that? 
Well, <clears throat> I, I honestly never planned on telling them. I didn't want to ever tell them. Uh, even though Brent knew, I, I just thought, what's, what's the point? You know, they don't need to know. Uh, of course, this is what I was thinking when they were younger and um, age had a lot to do with that, their age. And a friend of mine pointed out to me that, well, Tam, I don't think you're looking at the big picture here. You're little, literally writing a book <laughs> about your story and a big part of your story are your abortions. Um, so how are you not going to tell your kids? Because they will find out. Yeah. And I was so upset that my friend brought out the obvious. I uh, literally was like, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> She's like, oh, no, no, I, no, I do. I really do. And so I thought, oh, crud. And uh, I thought about telling Cass for a couple years after my friend had brought that up. And it just, it just grew more and more evident that, oh my goodness, how could I not tell her? Why would I not tell her? Mm -hmm. Why would I not equip her with my story yes. so that if she ever found herself in the same position, she needs to know what I went through and she needs to know that she doesn't have to go through it alone and that she doesn't have to make the same decision that I made. She needs to know it all. And then more than that, what if her equipped with my story could help someone else? You know, she was about ready to go into high school. That's, I was in high school. You know, those are huge, huge mm -hmm. seasons for young girls. And so I couldn't escape it. I knew I had to. And um, I finally did one day. It was a long, another big, dramatic, <laughs> dramatic delay. Correct? That's a good representation of it. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I do. I have, I have a gift for putting things off. I mean, we went shopping first. I hate shopping. I hate spending money. And I knew I was going to tell Cass that day and we were out of town and I, we were driving up to um, um, another city for something, for an event. And the whole way I'm gripping my steering wheel. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I know I'm planning on telling her I'm going to do it today. Cass, you want to go shopping? And, <laughs> and she's like a 13 year old. Yes. Yeah. And, um, so we, you know, we went to the mall, we stayed there for a couple hours. I spent money I should not have. And she got a bunch of clothes. We hop into the hotel. I plop down on the couch. I'm like, model it all for me. All of it. <laughs> Variation. Yes. Take your time. Yeah. Oh my Put goodness. No, it was like, I was doing everything to avoid it. The same way I did with Brent. Um, and, and all, because you know why? All of the fears came back but in such a different way. Now telling my husband was hard. Telling my daughter was way harder, way harder. Mm -hmm. Little girls, when they're jump roping in their driveway, getting ready to play hopscotch, dreaming of their future. They don't, this isn't part of their plan. Little girls never plan on telling their little girl that they had abortions. That's not part of it. And so as much as I felt prepared, a heart is never prepared. So I, my encouragement is <laughs> don't run from the hard things because it's in the hard things being revealed that you learn that other people deserve to know you fully. And in that knowing, 
there is something so sweet and deep that be, that begins growing. And that's what happened with Cassidy in me. Our relationship forever changed. And I told her in, in about the same way um, that I told Brent. And um, I write about the whole story in the book. But basically, I just, you know, decided, boom, I'm telling her. And um, I said, you know, I, I have you today because um, I needed to tell you something. And um, it's not easy. Now, she had known about all the other stuff. She, um, she knew about my abuse as a child. She knew that, you know, I had used drugs growing up. Um, she knew about my first marriage and how that ended. So she knew hard stuff. And I knew she could handle it. But I just didn't want to be the one to tell her. And so I find it. And um, I remember after I said, Cass, and I'm crying, of course. Um, you know, Cass, when I was 16, um, I was living with my boyfriend and we got pregnant and I had an abortion. And Cass is really stoic. She's super strong and has always, always been wise behind, be, beyond her years. Um, she just responded and she's, she's like, why? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. I just, I thought I had to do it. I thought it was the right thing. And she really didn't have a lot to say after that. And I said, well, actually I have more to the story. Um, when I was 17, I had a second abortion and that's when I really saw the impact it had on her. And she leaned forward toward me and she's like, okay, I understand why you said you had the first one. Why would you do it again? And I told her, I said, girl, <laughs> I have a million, million excuses, but I do not have one good reason for you. I don't have one. I can't explain it away. Only that I know I should not have done it. And I'm really sorry. And I don't remember, Cass, how you felt after that. Cass, I'm going to ask you how you felt about it in just a minute. But first... I love, Tam, how you said, why would I not equip her with my story? I just love that. I think that is so good and so wise and just awesome. Cass, you were 13 when your mom told you uh, her story. Is that right? I was 13. And you're 24 now? Correct. And when you were 13, did you know what abortion was? I think, I think I, I knew what it was. I didn't quite understand, you know, the details and um, the impact, but I, I was aware that abortion is, was a thing that existed. Yes. Okay. I had just, I have recently told my daughter, my story, she's 12 and all in one like lump, I had to also tell her what abortion was. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that was, yeah. And I, I actually had her read my story first oh, with, yeah. I was sitting with her, but I had her read it first. Yeah. And then we, yeah. And then we talked about it. But Cass, how do you remember that moment of your mom telling you, what do you remember from that? And, and what were you thinking at that time? Well, I definitely remember the shopping spree. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do talk a little bit about it in the book, but I, I remember now, you know, in that moment, looking back at the events of the day and, and seeing um, where my mom was kind of putting some things off and 
um, distracting the moment that she knew needed to happen. I remember when she told me the, when she had the first abortion, I feel like I had a similar response that my dad had kind of just sat there and, and soaked it in. It's like, okay, why? You know, she gave me her reason and, and, and then she said that she had the second one. And I was like, well, hang on. Mm-hmm. You just told me how you felt in the first one. So why would you do it again? And, and, and that's when I saw that the pain that she was still enduring through it. And I don't remember really much else of the conversation necessarily for the details, but I remember it being this um, beautifully painful moment of, in a sense, reconciliation mm-hmm. with, you know, what, what had happened and the decision she made and, you know, how it made her feel. Um, but the beautiful part of it was I got to see and know more about who my mom was and, and how it shaped her to become the person that she is today. And that was a gift to me. Cass, what do you want to say to the mom out there who has had an abortion in her past and has not told her children and has thought, I'm not going to tell my children, which of course is a personal choice, but what encouragement would you offer her in choosing to tell? My first initial thought that comes to mind is it's never too late. You never go past an opportunity necessarily. You may skirt around some um, spots in your life where you very well could have mentioned it. But um, when it comes down to it, there is always a time for you to be able to um, share a piece of your story. I, I encourage it because coming from a place of receiving um, that confession, it kind of freed me up a little bit now to ask the questions. And now I am educated in more so the grueling details of what abortion can be, not only from a physical standpoint, from, but from an emotional and soul level um, reaction and, and how that impacts a woman's life and mm. not only a woman's life, but the people around her and future relationships she has, yeah, platonic or romantic. Because at that moment, um, you know, when I was having the abortions, uh, I wasn't just having those abortions. Now my family did. My friends did. You know, now it becomes a part of their life. So it's not, um, a, you know, a single decision. It's, it is a decision that weaves its way into your future. And, and um we can run away from it or we can lean into it and see, see that, you know, God can make something very, very beautiful from it. Yeah, that is so good. And Cass, how has your mom's story impacted your life through other relationships? So, you know, as you went through high school or just as you were growing up, did it ever were you ever able to speak to a friend or I don't know, did your mom's story ever collide with your, your personal relationships and friendships? Actually, yes. Almost immediately. Um, I can't remember if it was the end of my mm-hmm. junior high or into my early high school. It was in high school. It was high school. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I had an opportunity to speak to a peer um, she had gotten pregnant 
and was struggling with what to do next. Um, and I was able to share my mom's story and how it affected her um, and how it in turn affected me, a now future child. Um, and, and so it was, it was really cool because then now I was equipped with knowledge um, from a very personal standpoint. I got to see very closely how that affected the person who decided to, you know, make that choice. What did they decide to do? They didn't have, I d- yeah, they didn't, they didn't have the abortion. I, I think they, I don't know what route they went, but they did decide to move forward with the pregnancy, which was a really cool thing to witness that, you know, just recently having this you know, conversation with my mom saying, Hey, this is what I did. And this is how it affected me. And um, you know, what, what do you want to know? And so I was able to ask her questions, which then I was able to answer for my friend. That is awesome. So if you're out there and you're listening and you have either fears about telling your children or, I mean, at an appropriate age where only, you know, that answer, I would say it can impact so many more people if you are able to share and I would say, don't share it until you have first confessed it to a safe friend or a counselor or, you know, once you have kind of confessed and shared and walked through some healing, I would say that you don't have to be afraid to share and it will impact so many more people than just you and your children. Mm, that's so good. And, you know, um, confession while it, it is good personally, but confession is a gift. Yes. It just honestly keeps on giving. But I, I want to say, um, based on what you just said about healing, uh, my healing revved up when I confessed. I was my own hurdle. My inability to forgive myself and share my story was was on me. But the minute I knocked that down and was like, all right, Lord, I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to confess, my healing took off. It made sense to heal. When I, where I didn't believe I deserved to heal, I stood on the truth that I deserved to heal. Yeah. And, and there's surrender. I mean, there's always, I feel like, well, throughout my life, what I have seen and what I have learned is that there's always healing and surrender. So whenever we surrender another piece of control, another fear, another something, there is freedom and healing right around the bend. So true. Oh my goodness. So I only have two more questions for you, Tam. The first one is, I know that one of the things that you have a real passion for is seeing churches be equipped to talk more about abortion so that you know, the one in three women in the pews who have had one don't feel so alone and maybe know where they can get help or resources. And it is awesome that there are resource pregnancy resource clinics, but the church can do better. We can always do better. And so what I want to ask you is, how can the church do better? Well, talking about it for starters. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's true. Talking about it is a huge thing. We, we talk about a lot of sin. We talk about a lot of injustices, um, but I think we, we, we tend to talk about the ones that we feel um, in the church won't impact us as much personally. You know, so I, I understand why a pastor, a leader in the church who is 99.9% of the time a male, 
I understand why he wouldn't want to bring it up because he's not equipped to handle it. You know, what, what's he going to do? I mean, a woman's now going to come up to him and now he's got to talk to this woman about her abortion story. How, you know, that's, there's so many things that are wrong with that. So I would love to see, I, I would love to see um, women in churches be built up and be allowed to rise up and tell their story. And sometimes you, you can't even do that in women's groups. There just needs to be a safe place that can be fostered um, in the church. How do you do that? I, I don't know. I, I would, I would like to encourage any woman listening right now that if you are in a church and you have an abortion story and you are on the healing side of it, don't be afraid to go to your pastor and say, or your women's leader or however your church is structured and say, this is a need because, you know, three out of every five women or so, I think the new stats is, I don't know if you know what it is, um, uh, have an abortion that doesn't change in a mall, in a library, at Walmart, or in a church. You know, it's everywhere. And so we can't, we can't continue to, you know, just skip over it like it doesn't exist. It is, it exists. Not only women are coming in post-abortive, women in your church are still getting abortions. So we need to address that. We have to address that. And women, I encourage you, please, please, if you think that you are well enough and healed enough to go and bring this issue up in your church, you will be doing a great thing. I, I, I promise you. And if you want help on how to do it, contact me. <laughs> I'll, I'll help you, you know, figure out how to say it, when to say it, where to say it, and why you're even saying it. But women, like I said earlier, women are dying for someone to go first. And if you think you can be the one to go first, you're going to be a huge blessing. And I just want to say something you said that is really important. You said women who have had abortions who are on the healing side of it. That's a crucial element because I think that if you haven't walked through any healing, that I don't think you should necessarily go and be speaking about it only because your heart is in a tender place. And oftentimes what will surprise you when you begin your healing are all the stages of grief you will go through, including anger and denial and depression. And until you have walked through those stages, either through counseling or through other means, as Tam has said, it's probably not wise or healthy for you to be the person that is leading other women just because of the complexity involved in the nature of it and the pain and, and the grief. So I would just say, I think that's really important what you said, the healing side of it. I used to be really upset at pastors uh, who didn't say anything about it or who like mentioned it real quickly, like in a prayer. So um, I think less than a handful of times in all of my years of going to church, I have heard the word abortion from stage, you know, just a few times, but it's always been during prayer. So it, it goes like this. Let me paint the picture. End of service. Let's pray. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. The prayer goes something like this. If you're out there and you're struggling today, if you're struggling with addiction, if you're struggling with, you know, a hard heart, if you're struggling with a past abortion, if you're struggling with that, da, da, da. so what that always did for me was suggested to me, implied to me that the only way you can even ever say anything about abortion is you actually have to have your eyes closed. You can't even look around. You can't even speak. 
right? And it's, it's unintentional shaming. Yeah. It's not their intention. That's not what they, the hearts are in the right place. It's just, we're not educated, mm-hmm. you know, and little things like that have to change. But I bring that up because I know for me, I would get very frustrated and angry at the pastors. I can't, I, I don't blame them for that. They don't know how to say it. So, you know, don't, don't be so hard on your pastor if that happens and you have, and you have also felt how I felt or that, or if he doesn't say anything at all. I've talked to Brent, Brent, you know, Brent's been a pastor for years. He's been wanting to say something for years. (laughs) You know, he doesn't know how he's not equipped. Yeah. I just want to end with this question. For the woman who is out there right now who has had an abortion and who hasn't told anybody or who is struggling, what do you want to say to her? Don't beat yourself up. And I just want you to believe that you have a purpose and that you have worth. You are worth forgiving, not only forgiving yourself, but you you are worthy of God's forgiveness. He already has. Your heart is in a really tender place. And if you're sitting in that moment of, I need to confess right now, it's going to be different. Your eyes are going to change. Your perspectives are going to change. And you're going to wonder who you've become. Don't beat yourself up because your heart wants to be differently. You know, the spirit is in you. It feels you and it is interceding for you. You're not alone. Lean into that spirit, lean into the Lord and know that he is not angry at you. He does not hate you. He's not even disappointed in you. He wants to see you whole. He wants to see you free and he does, you deserve to be whole and to be free. And I'm telling you, you get on that other side and I know you can do it. I know you can do it. We know you can do it. You get on that other side and you watch you watch the Lord bless other people through you. Just wait. Mm. Tam and Cass, it has just been so helpful and good to have you on. I am so grateful that you have that you chose to be brave and vulnerable and to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. To learn more about Tam or to get in touch with her, you can head to tamhodge.com and you can find her book linked in the show notes. Also, I mentioned the interview with my post-abortion counselor, and I said upcoming, (laughs) but it was actually last week's episode, which was episode 15. So if you haven't listened to that yet, go check it out. Thank you for listening to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Reviews are how people know if they should listen or not. So please, if you like the show, take a minute and give it a review. Thank you so much. If you want to know more, check out sarahmay.com forward slash the complicated heart podcast. See you next time.